Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. All right, well, um, in December of last year, my family moved house, and uh, we'd been living in our home that where we'd been for the last three and a half years. We're moving out of there. And um, we have rented a number of homes since we moved to Sheffield in 2007. And whenever we've moved, I have always prided myself on being able to get our full deposit back. Any, any people love to just contend for your deposit like nothing else? Is it just me? A few of you. Okay, good. I'm not alone. But I was like, I'm going to get that money back no matter what, you know, because, you know, it's, it's obviously we want to hand it back in the same condition that, that we received the house. And also, you know, that money is awfully helpful to help uh, offset moving costs and that kind of thing. But as often happens on the week of the move, uh, the unexpected occurs, right? And we encountered some unexpected things that week. There's some really hilarious stories, including uh, the story of Lauren and I breaking and entering into our new house uh, because we locked ourselves out. That's another story for another time. But uh, as we were cleaning up our house um, and, and getting it ready to hand over, we had a professional carpet cleaner come in, and in the process of him cleaning the carpets, uh, one of the taps broke and was just streaming water, which is not that big of a deal. We were actually able to fix it. Actually, Ian came over and fixed it for us, which was a huge blessing. I'm very thankful for all of his many, many taps talents. Um, but uh, we were able to get that fixed. But in the process of getting it fixed, we discovered there were some other leaks happening around the house. And, and it didn't seem to be related to the broken tap. It seemed to just be kind of a systemic problem with the plumbing. So I did what a tenant is supposed to do, I thought, in that situation. I called our landlord, and who I thought we had a good relationship with, and I explained, like, hey, this has happened. We fixed the tap, but there's a couple of other leaks. Seems unrelated. You know, I just wanted you to be aware. What do you want to do? And he was very, just much to my surprise, he was very abrupt and said, well, that's your problem. You need to fix it. I was like, excuse me? Uh, you know, well, actually, we did fix our problem, uh, but it seems like there's a couple other things that we've just discovered, some leaks in the house. And when we've had this before, we've called you, and you, you've sorted it out. And he's like, well, it's your problem. You fix it. And then he kind of escalated, and he, st- he went off on this rant and started telling us that, that, that he, sh- he was accusing us of being irresponsible tenants, of, of lying and manipulating, and man, he, w- he went off on one. And it felt just, I was totally taken aback by this. It felt completely out of the blue to me. Not only did it seem irrational, but it's, I was really offended because he was accusing my integrity. He was saying, you're, you're, you know, you're a liar, you're manipulated, da, da, da. And, and we've always had good relationships with our previous landlords. We hadn't done anything different this time around. But now there's this really tense situation that's occurred. And, you know, I got that huge surge of adrenaline you get when somebody starts accusing you. And uh, when I ended the call, um, or, you know, I, 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 well, I it's got that adrenaline going. I was like, man, I, I need to probably get out of this. So I, I just said, hey, listen, I, I'm sorry. We'll sort it out. And hung up the phone and just had to kind of deep, deep breathe a little bit, kind of calm down, count to 10, all those kinds of things. So, so I could kind of get my, you know, get my head back on straight again. And I finally asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I felt like he said, you need to just show grace and fix it. And I wasn't really happy with that answer, but I, f- I felt like I've got so much to do this week that I can't spend it arguing with my landlord about something. So I just decided to call a plumber and sort it out myself. And, um, but I was still kind of 
anxious and nervous because I knew I was going to have to interact with my landlord uh, at the end of the week. And so I was kind of gearing up for that conversation, praying into that conversation. And then when the day arrived, when I, when I had to see him again, I really had no idea what was going to happen. I was kind of kind of anxious about it. And so I said to him, or as, as he came in, I, I was like, oh man, here we go. What's going to happen? But he totally took me off guard and did the most unexpected thing imaginable. He said, hey, I just want to apologize to you. Uh, when you called earlier this week, I gave it to you with both barrels and you didn't deserve it. And I am really, really sorry. Uh, what happened was right before you called, I had another call and I got some really bad news that I was really upset about. And, and you called right away after that with this other bad news about the house. And so I just took out all of my frustration on you. And I, I'm really sorry and want you to, I, I, I ask your forgiveness. He stuck out his hand even. I was stunned. I mean, this guy's not a believer as far as I know. I, I, I was really quite taken aback by his humility and, and his apology. I mean, it is so rare for people to actually apologize in these days. And, and I'm so glad that he did because I was able to just say, yeah, I forgive you, shook his hand, and instead of us ending on this really sour note, what had been a good relationship up until that point, uh, ending on this note of mistrust and accusation ended with a laugh and a handshake, and we walked and we parted on good terms. And as I said, I, I walked away from that thinking, man, I am so impressed by his humility and what a difference an apology makes. Well, today, as we continue the series that we've been doing over the last several weeks called Learning to Love, um, I want to talk about the power of an apology. Because, you know, as we've talked about, one of the challenges in relationships is what happens when we have conflict. You know, that's the, if, if we're learn, trying to learn to love well, one of the biggest challenges that we face is what happens when there's conflict, when there's adversity, when there's strife and friction in a relationship. So learning to work through conflicts and friction in a healthy way is vital if we're going to learn to love well. But as we talked about last week, one of the problems with how we tend to handle conflicts is that most of us learned a pattern of resolving conflicts as children in which, you know, we, we were taught this basic pattern. Let's see if this sounds familiar. You know, little Joey gets frustrated at little Johnny, so he hits him on the shoulder or something, and little Johnny starts crying, and the adult or the person in charge comes along and says, oh, little Joey, you shouldn't hit little Johnny like that. Look what you've done. You need to apologize. And so little Johnny apologizes, and once he does, uh, or little Joey apologizes, and once, once he does, little Johnny is made to say, I forgive you. Anybody taught that as kids, that little pattern? Anybody seen that practiced? Some of you. Some of you have it. I, I, I feel like this is probably something, I grew up in a Christian home that is this is kind of what's taught a lot in the church. And, and I have to say, I think the intentions are good. It's good to teach people this pattern in which if you hurt somebody, you take responsibility for it, you own it, and you say you're sorry for the pain that you've caused. And if somebody apologizes, then it's a good thing to extend forgiveness towards that person. The problem is, if you're just going through the motions with that, if your heart isn't sincerely engaged, it's not very effective. 
And, you know, when I've made our kids go through this, you know, because I confess this is something Lauren and I have done with our kids, I can't say that most of the time it's produced this deep contrition and remorse over what they've done. Oh, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I don't want to hurt you like that. And, and it definitely hasn't produced that, that deep sense of, of forgiveness where, where the person's like, oh, I forgive you. I just love you. Can we just hug, you know? It's not normally like that. It's more, it's more of a sorry, but you deserved it. And the forgiveness is part, it's like, I forgive you, but I'll get you for this later. You know, it's, that's more the tone of what's happening. So the pattern that we learned as kids, it doesn't work because often our heart isn't engaged in it. And the problem is that we've carried this mindset, this pattern on into adulthood. And as a result, the, 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 uh, when we confess our sins, when we try to apologize for something, that's not very effective. When we try to forgive somebody, that doesn't seem to be very effective. And so it seems like we need to, to go deeper than this sort of superficial uh, way of forgiving and trying to mend relationships. And so that's what we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and how to, to forgive from the heart, as Jesus talked about. But today, as I said, I want to look at the other side of the coin. I want to look at how we apologize. How do we apologize? Because as I said, you know, I was, that's what blew me away about my landlord's apology to me is a good apology is actually pretty rare. Rarely do people own their mistakes and apologize without justifying or rationalizing or turning the blame back around on you. And so I think, you know, just as we have to, uh, have to know how to forgive well if we're going to love well, we actually have to know how to apologize well if we're going to love well. Because after all, you know, nobody here is perfect, right? We're all going to make mistakes at times. We're going to, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, no one is going to make it through life without hurting someone else, without messing something up. And so the question is, what do you do when you mess up? What do you do when you make a mistake? Because those moments, they can make or break a relationship, handle it well, and it can actually rebuild and rebuild the trust in a relationship, handle it poorly, and it can further damage and deteriorate or even end a relationship. So apologizing well, it's a skill that we actually need to learn if we're going to love well, and especially for us as followers of Jesus. Because Jesus made it very clear that this was a priority. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he made this statement that, that when you, it's, it's very quick, and you can just kind of read through it because it's just a couple of verses long, but when you stop and think about it, you realize, oh, this was a big deal to him. So look at this passage in Matthew chapter 5. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, if you've, been, if you've grown up in church, been around church for a while, we can just read through that in just a couple of verses and we just move on. But I want us to slow down this morning and, and move past our familiarity with this passage and actually think about what Jesus is saying here because this is a strong statement. And to understand it, really, what he's saying, you've you got to understand something about the, the geography of Israel, and you've got to understand something about religious practice in the time of Jesus. So the temple that Jesus is referring to there, that is the temple in Jerusalem. That's the temple that Herod built. It wasn't like, you know, the average 
uh, church on every street corner. This was the beating heart of the Jewish nation. It was the center of religious practice. It was by far the best and most expensive building in the nation, and it was the center of, of the Jewish nation, as I said. And every year, it was customary for Jews to make pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem. Often this would happen on Passover. They would go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, to celebrate Passover, and then go back to their home. Now, we're told about one of these, uh, given an example of this in Luke 2, we're told about how Jesus's family made a trip to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover when he was 12 years old. Now, making a trip to Jerusalem was not like, you know, going over across the street to, to pick up some groceries. This was a major undertaking for some people because Jesus, in G- Jesus's case, it was a huge undertaking. He was a Galilean. So he lived up in Galilee, which is in the north of Israel, about a 90-mile journey to Jerusalem. It would take three or four days one way of just walking. Imagine that. You know, if I said to you today, hey, we're going to do a three or four day car journey, like, yeah, that, you'd probably not be very excited about that. Imagine walking for three or four days just to get there. Then there's all the festivities, you know, kind of the, the, the high point of the Jewish calendar. So it's kind of Christmas. And then, and then they, then the walk back. So this is a major undertaking. And yet Jesus is saying that when you're, when, when you come to the temple and you've, you know, spent the time and the money and, you know, this really emotional moment. You're now coming to do business with God at the temple. You're going to offer a sacrifice that's maybe, maybe a, an offering of gratitude or it's, maybe it's a, 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 uh, to atone for your sins. But this is a serious moment. You're, you're going to offer this offering to, do, you know, to, to make yourself right with God. And so you're in the queue. Imagine this. You know, you've got maybe your animal with you, and, and, and you're waiting for your moment to step up to the altar and offer your offering on the altar. And suddenly you remember this conflict that you had with your neighbor back in Galilee. I mean, this might not be such a big deal if, if you live in Jerusalem or in the surrounding communities. You know, you could probably just walk across the room even. They might be there at the temple, but, or, or, or maybe go back to your village that night and make it right. But for Jesus, remember, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's a Galilean. He's preaching it on a mountain in Galilee to Galileans. So these guys are going to make a three or four day journey to Jerusalem every year. And now he's telling them, hey, if you come to the altar and you remember, uh-oh, I really mistreated my neighbor. Jesus is saying, stop what you're doing, put your offering down, and head on home and make it right. Wow. That is very intense. I mean, I I think it's not too much of an exaggeration to say that reconciliation, Jesus is telling us here, reconciliation is a greater priority than acts of worship. We don't think about it that way. Now, it sounds like a heresy, but, but think about it this way. I mean, imagine a father who looks like the model Christian on Sundays. He maybe teaches a Sunday school class. He gives big offerings every week. He has impeccable theology. He can answer any question that you ask him. He, he, uh, he sings the worship songs with passion and fervor. And yet, at home, behind closed doors, he's an angry tyrant who constantly berates and criticizes his wife and children. Which do you think God would value more? His, his gifts, his tithes and his offerings, his worship, his, his, his uh, uh, pure theology, or do you think he, he would value this father 
repenting of his sin and learning how to love his wife and children in the way he's supposed to. So they actually enjoy being around him, not try to get away from him. What do you think God would value more? He's going to value that repentance. He's going to value that reconciliation. Of course he would. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at here. He's like, this, this is so important. You can't hide behind your spirituality and think, oh, I'll just, I'll just give a big gift to God and that'll make up for the way that I mistreated these, these people. He's, he's getting at the hypocrisy that we so often indulge in, that, that, that we, we try to be pious on the outside and put on a good show for people, but actually we're really sloppy with our relationships. And Jesus is saying, no, your greatest act of worship is how you love other people. How you love people demonstrates whether or not your faith is real or not. Now, before we talk about what he means by being reconciled, because I think it's a really important phrase in that verse, I want to clarify what Jesus is saying when he says, if someone has something against you. So if we go back to the verse there, it says, you know, if you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, you got to leave your sacrifice. what, What does Jesus mean by that? Because... The first thing that comes to my mind is like, hey, we live in an age of outrage. You can't post anything on social media without like 40 people being outraged at you, right? You know, there's all kinds of anger and frustration these days, which is, by the way, one of the reasons I think we need to learn how to apologize. Could we maybe perhaps turn down the temperature of some of our cultural discourse if we actually owned our mistakes and apologized? Just a thought. But... Is Jesus saying that anytime somebody has an issue with you, that you've got to just drop everything you're doing and go and try to make it right? Well, the short answer is no. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. What, What he's saying is, if you have messed up, if you've done something wrong and you know it, then you need to go back and you need to make it right. What he's not saying is, hey, if somebody is offended with you because, for example, you, you're a follower of Jesus, or if somebody is, is upset with you because you, you made a right decision and they just didn't happen to like it, that's not what he's talking about. I mean, as a parent, I experience this all the time. My, my kids are amazing children, but sometimes I set boundaries that they are less than pleased about. Maybe we have to turn off the screens. Maybe we have to, you know, maybe I might give them a chore, like doing the dishes or something. And sometimes, I just rarely, they might express distaste for that, that uh, uh, assignment at the time. Now, do I need to like repent to them and apologize to them because they're upset and offended with me because I've maybe interrupted what they're doing and asked them to do something else or because I put boundaries there? No. No, I'm doing what a good parent should do. I'm, I'm protecting them with boundaries. I'm, I'm preparing them for life independently when they one day move out of the house. I mean, these are what things, this is what parents are supposed to do. So if we're if we're uh, uh, doing something righteous and good that's, and it bothers people, that's not something we have to, we're not responsible for that. I mean, after all, Jesus offended all kinds of people. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of people were ticked off at Jesus and trying to kill him. And we know he didn't do anything wrong. So what he's saying here is when you remember that someone has something against you, it's because they, it's legitimate. You have done something hurtful and you know it. That's when he's saying you need to stop what you're doing and you need to go back and you need to make it right. Now, if we're honest, most of us struggle with this. Uh, As I was studying this week, I came across this study in the Journal of Adult Development, and it found that 75% of people believe that they've been forgiven by God for past mistakes and wrongdoing, all right? But 52% say they have, uh, have forgiven others. 
So it's a lot harder for us to extend forgiveness than it is for us to receive forgiveness. But it's even harder to ask for forgiveness. 43% say they have actively sought forgiveness for the harms they have done. 43%. So it's much harder to ask for forgiveness than it is to receive forgiveness. It's much harder to ask for forgiveness than it is to forgive other people even. But why is that? Why is it so hard for us to ask for forgiveness? As I thought about it, there's, there's all kinds of reasons for it. I, I think for some of us, especially guys, we're taught that, that apologizing for something is a sign of weakness. That to admit that you're wrong, to say you're sorry, that's, that's weak somehow. Some of us have just, we've never seen it modeled. You know, we've, we've never seen, we, we may have grown up in a home where nobody ever apologized, where parents never said, I'm sorry. For some of us, we're afraid of what's going to happen when we go to that person and say we're sorry. We're afraid of the conflict perhaps even escalating. You know, for some people, I think that, that we're so focused on the faults of other people that, that we justify our bad behavior because of what they did. So if anything, they should be apologizing to us, not us apologizing to them. Some of us, th- you know, I, I think that um, we know that if we apologize, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to, if we're genuine in our apology, we're going to have to change our behavior. And we either don't want to do that or we don't think we can do that. I think some of us struggle to apologize because we're ashamed and we're embarrassed by what happened. And it's far easier to just kind of look the other way and pretend that didn't happen than it is to go back and, and face the person that we've hurt and face our shame in the face. And I think there's some people that honestly, they're, they're narcissistic. They they want to justify their behavior, and, and, and they just genuinely don't seem to be able to, uh, they, they, all, they believe they're right all the time. And anything that contradicts that narrative that they've built for themselves, that they're right all the time, or that they're a victim, or, or something like that, they just seem to delete that and pretend that it didn't happen. But that's usually the exception. For most of us, I think we fit in one of those other categories. And sometimes it's a combination of all these things. But if you find yourself struggling to apologize, I think you can just ask yourself the question, why am I so reluctant? Is it my pride? Is it fear? Is it shame? What is it that's causing me to hold back? Like, why is it so hard for me to give this gift of an apology to someone? If you don't know what the answer is, then this is a great place to invite the body of Christ into this. You know, find a trusted friend and say, hey, look, I need to go repent to this person. I don't want to do it. It's a real struggle for me. Can you help me out with this? Let them pray with you. Let them discern what's going on. Let them speak into your life. But whatever the issue is, Jesus is saying, you can't let that hold you back. You've got to get over that. You've got to somehow work your way through to actually owning what you did wrong and making amends for it. And of course, you know, I need to say, not always when we apologize will our efforts be received. It's so painful, you know, when I've had that, those moments where I've apologized to somebody and they just, they didn't want anything to do with it. They, they, they rejected it. But Jesus is saying that it's not, we can't, you know, it takes two people to be reconciled. And he's saying, as his followers, we've got to take the initiative, not pretend like it didn't happen, not ignore it, not wish it would go away, not blame them, but actually own our part of the, the offense and go to them and do what we can to make it right. And then it's up to them whether or not they want to receive it. So how do we apologize? How do we make it right? 
I think we, as I said, this is something that's not easy. And, you know, it's, 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 think about it this way. It's like, you know, when we make a mistake, it's kind of like walking into a room with a can of open paint and just dropping it on the floor. You know, what's going to happen? That paint is going to slosh all over the place. It's going to get on the floor. It's going to get on the carpet. It's going to get on the walls. It's going to get on the furniture. And when that happens, it's our responsibility to clean it up, to clean up our mess. So we're all going to make mistakes. And when that happens, it's our job, it's our responsibility to clean up our mess. It's not an option to ignore it. But in order to do that, I think we need to understand a little bit about how that works. Like, what does a process of repentance look like? Well, first of all, I think it's acknowledging what you did wrong. Acknowledge what you did wrong. I mean, and this seems really straightforward, but this, again, is really, really difficult for us most of the time. (laughs) And one of the reasons I think that is is because rarely is a conflict or a breakdown in a relationship 100% one person's fault. Usually both parties are at least partially to blame. And the tendency that we all have, and I have this tendency too, is is we tend to focus on what that other person did wrong and really make a big deal about it because we're, we're feeling the pain of it, we're feeling the effects of it, while completely ignoring or minimizing or justifying what we did wrong. But when I've got still enough to let the Holy Spirit speak to me on some of these situations, there is normally something I've done that has contributed to this situation that, or whatever situation is, has gone wrong. And it's a painful moment to realize, oh, actually, this isn't just all on them. This is on me too. And one of the things that I, I think we just need to remember is that often it's not all one person's fault when something goes wrong. And we've got to own are part of the problem. So if it's 80% them and 20% us, we need to own our 20%. And we need to make amends for that 20%. What they do with their 80%, that's up to them. But we need to own our part of the, the, the problem. And this requires humility on our part. We've got to be humble enough to allow space for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We've got to be humble enough to allow other people to speak into our lives and say, hey, you know what? Actually, I don't think this is all about them. I think there's some things with you that have maybe contributed to that. And that's hard to hear sometimes, especially when we're hurting. It also requires us to surrender our need to justify or rationalize uh, or, or, or our need to be right all the time. I heard somebody said that the, the human capacity to self-justify is infinite. <laughs> that's so true. But we've got to surrender that. We've got to lay that down and instead prioritize our connection with this person. That's what Jesus is telling us here is that our, our, our connection with them is more important than being right. So we've got to put the faults of the other person to the side for the moment and own the parts where you have failed to love well. Secondly, I think this is really obvious here, but apologize for what you did. Say you're sorry. I mean... Now, that might seem obvious, but again, it's something we really struggle to do, and I've already talked about why that might be, but just looking somebody in the eye and sincerely from the heart saying, I'm sorry, can be really, really challenging. But a good apology is a gift that only you can give to that person. If you've hurt somebody, only you can give the gift of an an apology that brings healing, that brings uh, restoration of the relationship. Looking at somebody and saying sorry in a sulky way, sorry, or the the passive-aggressive thing where we blame shift and say, well, I'm sorry you had a problem with that, 
No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a deep, sincere apology. Now, some tips on this. If you can, do it face-to-face. That may not always be possible. I mean, you may have messed up so bad that that person won't meet with you. (laughs) But do it face-to-face if you possibly can, because they can pick up on your nonverbal cues. They can see your facial expressions. and, And I just think it speeds up the process of reconciliation. Don't do it over text or over email if you can help it. I'd also encourage you, don't just apologize for your actions. Apologize for the consequences of your actions, the emotional impact of your actions. So, you know, if you do something to hurt somebody, it's not just what you did, it's the consequences that they now have to deal with as a result of that. It's the, the message that you conveyed that maybe they're not valuable, that maybe they're, you know, that you're ashamed of them or whatever. That, that there's messages that your actions have conveyed, and you've got to go to those places because that's where the pain is really living, is this, the messages that you conveyed when you hurt them. I think it's a good idea to ask people, if you can, if there's space, to to ask people, hey, what was the impact of my behavior on you? When I did that, what was the concept? How did that hurt you? What, What was the impact of my behavior? Because I guarantee you, most of us do not know how deeply other people have been hurt or ways that are the consequences that our behavior had on them. So if you can, I mean, a good apology means good listening, asking them what you did, asking them how it impacted them so that you can offer a real heartfelt apology. And of course, (laughs) do not justify or excuse or rationalize your apology. I have a friend of mine, he said this, he said, a sincere sorry is never followed by a but. Listen, I'm so, so sorry, but you've just ruined your apology. Don't follow an apology with a but. Don't excuse, don't justify, don't rationalize, don't blame shift. Just own it. If you messed up, own your mistake. Now, let me balance that by saying sometimes it is helpful to give an explanation. Like in the case of my landlord, I was actually really glad that he explained to me what was going on. But what he didn't do, what was so good about the way he did it was that he didn't excuse his behavior because of that. He just told me what happened, but then owned the fact that he, he had impacted me negatively. So you can explain what's going on, but don't use that as an excuse. Those, if you can just, <laughs> if you can just own it and just say, I'm sorry, it will make a world of difference in how we, uh, how we heal our relationships. So let me just give you an example. Let's say you and I are for, like best friends, and I forgot your birthday. Now, that's never actually happened to me. I never forget birthdays, thanks to Facebook. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in this case, it's a hypothetical situation. I've forgotten your birthday, and all of a sudden, I realize it. What am I going to do in that situation? Well, I'm gonna, first, I'm going to run and hide for like six months and pretend like nothing happened, right? No. I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to say, hey, can, can we talk for a minute and try to like get them where you're, they're not distracted, where they can actually talk to you, where there's like space to be emotional if needed. And then just sit them down and say, listen, I know it was your birthday last week, and I completely missed it, and I feel sick about this. I'm, I'm so sorry for the way that that has hurt you. I can tell that it hurt you. I, I, I imagine it makes you feel un- devalued as my friend. It makes, probably makes you feel overlooked. It makes, might make you think that I don't value our relationship. Uh, I'm so, so sorry for the pain that this has caused you, and I want to make it up to you. 
I, I, I want to, if, if possible, I, I would love to, you know, first of all, I want to say that that's never going to happen again, because I don't, that's not the kind of friend I want to be. I, I, I want to, that's not the kind of friend you deserve. And so I've put your birthday in my calendar at home, in my diary at home. I put it on my phone. I can promise you uh, that will never happen again. And I'd also like to make it up to you. If, if you could just extend me grace and forgive me, I'd love to still celebrate this with you. Can I, you know, take you out later this week? Can we go celebrate together even though it's late? Something like that. I mean, that's a simple situation, but it's owning what you did wrong. It's, it's showing that you actually see the impact on their lives. It's, it's seeking to make restitution and rebuild trust. All of those things can really heal a relationship when it's done well. Lastly, I think we need to make restitution where possible and rebuild trust. You know, in lesser offenses, sometimes an apology is enough. Sometimes just saying you're sorry and doing it well, that's, that's enough to restore the, the breach. But if something more serious has occurred, it can be, it, I think there, that we need to make restitution in some way because trust has been broken. When you really damage a relationship, it breaks down that trust that is the, the currency of a relationship. Without that trust, relationships can't really exist. And so there's got to be an active plan to actually rebuild that trust that has been lost. So for example, let's say a husband has, has uh, developed a porn addiction and he's been caught and now his wife knows about it and, and there's all the hard conversations and the tears that have been shed. And, and let's just say in the scenario that this husband is deeply repentant. He's remorseful, he's sorry, he's, he's apologized to the best of, of, of his ability. But in this case, an apology isn't going to rebuild that trust because how does she know that he's not just going to go right back to it? And so they're going to need to put a plan together, probably get you know, a pastor involved or a counselor involved and put a plan together for him to rebuild trust with her. That might mean he needs to get rid of his smartphone. That might mean he needs to put accountability software on all of his devices. It might mean that she needs to have all of his passwords and be able to ask and look on his devices, and, and he can't get mad or defensive when that happens. It might mean that, that they need to do counseling together. It might mean that he needs to take her out for a date once a week. It might mean that, that he's not ever alone on his devices. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on, but you get what I'm saying. He's, he's going to need to take active steps to rebuild trust with her to prove that he's sincere in his repentance. All this takes work. Again, it's like you know, dropping that can of paint. It's not going to just be cleaned up in a, in a, in a few minutes. It's going to take a lot of hard work and a lot of scrubbing and, and, and sweat on the brow. But Jesus is saying this is a priority. When we make mistakes, when we're sloppy in relationships, it is a priority for us as followers of Jesus to make it right, to clean up our mess, to own our sin, and to be reconciled with our neighbor. You see, apologizing isn't an act of weakness. It's an act of love. Apologizing isn't an act of weakness. It's an act of worship and devotion to God as well. It's, it's, it's an act of love that just says, I love you enough to admit that I'm wrong, to admit that I've hurt you, and to take the first step towards making it right. Apologizing, it's a gift that we can give to somebody that we have hurt or damaged in some way. It's a gift that 
only you can give. And, and that gift, you know what it does? It sets them free inside. You know, when that, my landlord came and apologized to me, I, I had all kinds of questions like, did I do something wrong? All kinds of self-doubt and, and, and I was, you know, angry, but also questioning and, you know, all these kinds of emotions were raging inside of me. And when he told me what had happened and, and, and uh, explained the situation and apologized, it just set me at ease. And rather than having that question mark hanging over our relationship and the end of our time at that house, instead I can walk away free. I mean, what a gift he gave me. So when we do that for other people, man, what a gift. When we push back our fear and our pride and our anger and our, you know, all the different things that hold us back and we actually offer the gift of forgiveness, it sets them free. And it begins that process of healing. And relationships that have been broken down where the trust has been lost, that can be restored. And the relationship can be stronger than ever. I know of marriages where the husband has had an affair and sincerely repented of it and, you know, done the work to make, to, to, uh, to rebuild trust. And actually, the marriage was much stronger after the affair than it was before. So relationships that you think can, that will never be healed can actually be restored. It's a gift we can give them. So my challenge for you today is really simple. Who do you need to apologize to? Some of you may not have anybody. Some of you are really, really good at this, and you're, you keep short accounts, and when you make mistakes, you go to them, and you apologize, and, and it's, it's no problem. But for others of you, you've had a name and a face and a situation coming to mind unbidden as I've been talking about this this morning. And I just want to encourage you to just take that as the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that you need to go and make it right with somebody. You need to go and do what you can to be reconciled to them. So that's my challenge to you. Maybe you need to, you need to try to set up a, a meeting. Maybe they won't want to meet with you, so you just need to send an email if that's all you can do. But take the initiative. Clean up the mess. Make it right. Let's give that gift of an apology that can set the other person free, that can allow that healing process to begin and even restore a relationship that you never thought could be restored. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, guys, I want you to have clean relationships. Please don't be sloppy. Love one another well. That is your distinguishing mark as my followers. Let me pray for you as the band comes. Lord, there is not a person in this room today that, that doesn't feel the weight of what you've said in this passage that we've looked at. So, Lord, forgive us, Jesus, where we've disconnected our faith from how we've treated others. Forgive us for hiding behind our spirituality while being sloppy in our relationships. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you see and see how important this is to you. God, give us the courage to admit our mistakes, to Face them honestly. God, I pray for the godly sorrow that brings repentance in our hearts. And, and may there be genuine remorse for ways that we have hurt others. Then give us the courage, Lord, to say we're sorry without excusing or rationalizing or justifying. And give us the perseverance to do whatever it takes to make it right. Lord, none of this is easy, but Lord, help us to prioritize this 
in our walk with you. Help us, Lord, to be a people that love well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.